know if she ever does. What could she possibly be talking about now? Well, you never know, but you can bet it'll be a little bit of everything with a spice of sassy mixed in. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, today I want to paint a scenario for you. Picture this. You're 50 years old, you're living your best life. You're a successful paramedic here in the Niagara region, a job that you've loved for 30 some odd years. You're a father, you're a husband, things are looking good. You get a new doctor and you decide to go in and introduce yourself, run a couple of routine tests. However, those tests come back with something you are totally unprepared for, cancer. Today on the show, we're going to be chatting with Tim, who had that exact scenario happen to him over the last year and a bit. It's important for you to listen today because they say that the pandemic has made it harder for men to access a general practitioner. And it's likely that thousands more cases of prostate cancer have gone undetected. It's the reason why Ride for Dad is more important today than it has ever been. And we're hoping that by sharing Tim's story, it can help you out. It's Middays with Mizzy. Here's Steph. I've got Tim and his lovely wife, Kelly, joining me today. Uh, Tim has been part of the Ride for Dad Niagara for a number of years. He was, uh, as a rider, he and his son would go out, have some bonding time, and see the beauty of Niagara on their bikes. Little did they know that they would actually have a much deeper meaning for Ride for Dad in the coming years. You see, Tim was diagnosed with prostate cancer at a young age, and young for anybody to be diagnosed with cancer, but in particular, a cancer that for so many years was called the old man's cancer. And I'm pretty sure Tim would disagree with that one at this point in his life. It's interesting to me to talk as time goes on and the more that I'm involved with Ride for Dad, the number of times that I come in contact with younger and younger men uh, who are being diagnosed with prostate cancer. So let's go back to the beginning with this. Did you show any symptoms or anything? Is that why you went in and got some testing done? I had absolutely no symptoms at all. It just kind of took me blindsided. The reason how I found out about it is I changed doctors. And at that time, my new doctor wanted me to have new blood work and for his records and things like that. And well, the blood work consisted of having a PSA done. And guess what? It came back at a really elevated level. Wow. The doctor was really concerned about that at that time. And so between him and I, we got thinking, well, maybe it's some sort of issue like a infection or some sort so you know two educated minds thinking let's try antibiotics for a month or so and see how that goes yeah well we did that and came back again for another round of blood work it went up wow your your psa levels were elevated i think that that is a common term but i don't think a lot of people know what that means so tell us what like a normal psa level would be well for a healthy person it should be less than four okay and yours um, was Mine came back at 22 right off the bat. Wow. And my, doc, my doctor was just amazed that he says, I've never seen anything that high. Really? And, and was he equally surprised that you, you had no symptoms? Because what are some, some of the common symptoms that you probably would experience with, with an elevated PSA like that? You'd have frequency in urination or troubles urinating, pain, and things, just things like that that never occurred to me, never, never had. Wow. Sexual dysfunction, any of that. N none, no. Never had. <laughs> Never had. We want to make that one really known. <laughs> um, no, there were no signs at all. Like, and I think that's kind of why they thought, okay, well, we'll treat it like an infection. 
I was more, well, no, like, let's just get on with this and figure out what we need to do. But for him, he needed to, he needed to process it, I think, more so than, than. This he boiled down to denial. Yeah. How can I have it from from being perfectly healthy, never broke a bone in my body from zero to 60 right off the bat? I could say, you're perfectly healthy. No, you're not. You have cancer now. It's like that just hit home. That hit hard. I was just going to say that, you know, you're, you're given that big C word that we're always told about, you know, you've got cancer. When, when you hear those words come out of your doctor's mouth, what is your first instinct? Is it to go into shock? Is it to cry? Is it to think, let's get going? Or is everybody different? Like maybe you were different than Kelly. Maybe Kelly's like, let's get going. Let's go to the next thing. But how did you guys process all that? Like you say, is it, well, is it denial? Is that the first place you went to? To be honest, there was tears, lots of tears, lots of fear. Yes. Right? But then, you know, by, by having a, a strong supporter beside me, you know, we got through it. I didn't really give him an option. He didn't, in the beginning, he says, I, I'm not doing anything. And I said, well, you don't really have a choice because when you got married, you gave up that right to really make that choice just by yourself. You have kids sure. and you have a family. So it's not just... You, yes, you're the one that has to go through it, but it affects the whole family. So, like, the doctor didn't tell you that you have two years left to live or something. Like, we, yeah. we have to do something. You have to try. Yeah. And in the beginning, he didn't want to do anything. He he wasn't, nope, I'm not. And it was, it took a lot of, uh, a lot of convincing and a lot of, you know, you have to, you have to do something. Yeah. And finally, he realized that he needed to and... The surgery was a big thing because we were we were hoping he could just have um, the re- part of the reason why we went to Toronto is they have the robotic surgery there. Okay. So they he thought he could have the robotic surgery, so it's less invasive. Um, okay. But he didn't qualify because his cancer is considered advanced stage prostate cancer, so he didn't qualify for that. So he had to have the full prostatectomy. Oh wow! Okay. Missed the boat on that one. And what's that? You missed the boat on that one. Yeah. Um, and is that, is that like a first option for everybody just to be able to have surgery? If you can have surgery, that's the way they want to go first. For, for no. the younger people, yeah. they opt for surgery. Get rid of it. Get rid of the cancer. For the older people, it's more of an active surveillance. If it's not so bad, we're just going to watch it and see how it works out and then treat it with medications and things like that. But right. for the younger people like me, yeah. They want just to get rid of it. There's different types of surgeries. So there's the prostatectomy and then there's rods, different types of surgeries depending on the severity and the age. So um, because his was considered advanced stage and they figured it had already gone outside of the prostate, he needed to have the full prostatectomy. Yeah. But there are other surgeries you can have that isn't a full prostatectomy. It's you know, different types of um, surgeries that they can do. Right. So, but when you're younger, the idea is, yeah, like if you have it at a young age, you probably have advanced stage prostate cancer. When you're diagnosed in your 70s and 80s, it's slow growing. Yeah. So it's not, um, it's not as invasive, they say. The younger you are diagnosed, the more severe it is usually. Is that right? You know, it's brought me to, to our next question, which is, um, is this hereditary? Anybody else in your family have this? No, not at all. Like, not, I'm unaware of it. My father, nope. My, my elder brother, nope. But my son, yeah. now that I've been diagnosed with it, my, yeah. my son 
he's going to get tested at an earlier age than recommended at 50. They do recommend earlier, don't they? If you've already got it in your bloodline, yeah. then they say to get it. And how old does he have to be before he starts getting P Is it a PSA test that he'll also have yep. to go through? Okay. Yep. I think he can be any age. We've suggest we've well, I've basically said to him, you you need to get it done at thirty five to get a baseline. Sure. And then pretty much for us, every I would prefer him to do it every year. So for Tim, his his increased so quickly that month from month, like we had a, a point of time where we were told to wait six months before he had his test and he was let's say at one point six. Yeah. On month one, by the time we got to six months, he was at 18. Had we done PSA tests in between that, we would have seen it going up quicker. So I'm an advocate for getting a PSA test, if you have it, every single month. Just get it. Now, your yeah. doctors won't like that, but... Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a necessary test for a man. That's right. So cough up 45 bucks. It's a case of beer, right? Back when his PSA went up a few years ago in 2018... They found that it had spread to his spine, so he's considered advanced stage prostate cancer stage four. And and like I said, stage four is just a number. It's not a. It's not a. Oh, you have stage four cancer. That means it's the end because it it's just a number. It just means that it's metastasized somewhere else. And for prostate cancer, it's it's like roulette. It's little balls kind of like all over in your bloodstream and it, you never know when it's going to attach to something. So being on top of it all the time. Very proactive. <laughs> and you know, I have to tell you, um, Tim, you look fantastic. How are you feeling? Well, coming back post COVID now, I, after all this too, I was off work for COVID. So I'm still feeling a little winded and I lost my taste. No, no taste and no smell. So you so got COVID as well. I jumped into the COVID bandwagon oh, too. Oh no. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh my god. So the only thing I can smell and taste are salt and mangoes. Oh my goodness. It's an ironic combination. Yes, it really is. We gotta figure out some good drinks or something to make with <laughs> get salted. Yeah, salt that's on it. everything. That's it. Oh my gosh. We were talking at the top of this, uh, Tim, that you and your son and what's your son's name again? <clears throat> Christopher. Christopher, so you and Chris would go uh, on these um, rides for dad uh, just as sort of a bonding experience. And, and now it's really come to mean so much to you guys mm -hmm. on a personal level. Do you see some of the dollars that have been raised for, um, you know, along the way for Ride for Dad being used in, in your journey through the Niagara Health System? Well, we've, we all became part of the Niagara chapter of um, Ride for Dad. Like mm -hmm. it was something like, we all, we rode for it. Then my wife and my daughters, my son, we all became part of the executive. Oh, I love that. The, and and three, Chris, Tim, and I are on the executive, and the girls uh, volunteer at all the rides um, every year. So, And so like the, the Niagara chapter was established in 2010. Yeah. And since then, there's been like 2,000 riders going out, and they've raised like $583,000. Wow. For, and the dollars used for awareness to educate people some of that is up to like 5,700 and change. And there's like $36 million in raised in Canada towards the fight against prostate cancer. That's amazing. That is amazing. When I look back 20 some odd years ago when, when we were given the news that my dad had prostate cancer, nobody even knew what it was. And so yeah. to see how far we've come and with all of the help of yourself 
and, and Kelly and your family and so many others who participate in the Ride for Dad and raise awareness. That is just a huge accomplishment. Well done. One of the most important things for the Ride for Dad is that every ride, whether it's boat, jet ski, motorcycle, they have many different avenues for the Ride for Dad. All the money that's raised in that area goes back to that area. So it doesn't get... Um, lumped in one lump sum so everything that niagara chapter raises goes to walker cancer center in st Catharines. yeah which is so right yeah and a lot of people aren't aware of that when you're diagnosed with cancer i'm sure and i can only you know speculate Mm -hmm. this but you can confirm it that when you're diagnosed with cancer and if you do have to take those treatments it's so nice to know that you can take them at home and you're not having to drive to toronto and then drive back home if you're feeling Mm -hmm. horrible you know yeah right so that is yeah. amazing that we can have that right in our backyard. If there is one thing that uh, you could tell a, a gentleman or somebody who's listening today, Tim, what would it be? What would the, well, piece, the piece of advice you might give them? Well, early education and awareness brings on early detection and better treatments and better outcome. Yeah. Be aware and follow the path. Because it is one of the number one cancers for men in all of Canada, but it is one of the most um one of the most curable cancers correct yes one in nine men will develop cancer prostate cancer during their lifetime one in 29 will die from it so kelly being on the other side of it you know we talked a little bit um during our time with this that uh, cancer doesn't just affect him it affects you and your children as much as it affects him um and, and you're the one who's right there in the thick of it with him probably more than anybody is there a piece of advice that you might give to somebody who's listening today and, and they're going through this as well? The thing that I learned the most is just, you know, kind of be, make sure you're, you know, be supportive. And sometimes you got to push them to, to see what needs to get done. And I think the most important thing I learned was take notes because the person that's sitting in that room that has the cancer isn't listening. I mean, they're listening, but they're not hearing. Um, for Tim, it was more, the doctor would say something and he'd come out of the room and say, well, the doctor said this. And I'd be like, um, yeah, no, that's not (laughs) what he said. He said this, but with your medical background, you start to infer, well, yeah, the doctor said this, but I, he probably meant this. Well, no, he said this and this is what we're going to, we're going to take. And so I think the most important thing is, is having somebody there and take notes notes has been the most important thing i i i feel that i've learned like don't just walk into a doctor's appointment without having something there to write down well guys as we get ready to wrap this up any parting words thoughts well i'd like to say as i tell my friends i have cancer it doesn't have me i love that it sounds to me like you're doing all the right things i can't even uh, begin to tell you how much i appreciate it i know it's difficult to kind of rehash the story sometimes and and to even you know look ahead and stuff but my hope is that with you sharing your story that somebody else is going to hear it and say you know what maybe i should get checked maybe somebody's turning 50 this year is going to say you know mm-hmm. what? maybe i should get a psa test done so uh tim i wish you the best my friend i wish you all the health in the thank world you. thank you thank you